Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Hallelujah. What was the old song it says? It feels so good to be in the presence of the Lord once again, right? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your... Uh, thank you all for your faithfulness here this morning. Uh, you can be seated if you'd like. Hallelujah. Praise God. You believe that God's going to do great things here this morning? Yes. Amen? Hallelujah. We've got to have a spirit of anticipation when we come into the house of the Lord. And we're not just gathering here to just go through the motions, but that God's going to move, God's going to do a work, He's going to accomplish something in our lives, in everybody's lives who walk through these doors. So, so let's help facilitate that this morning. Amen? Whatever you can do, and you can do something, all of us can do something to help facilitate what God wants to do in this place this morning. Amen. Praise God. I'm not going to talk about that. I just, I don't know where that came from. But anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Praise God. Um, so this morning, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 27, um, I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about facing intimidation. Facing intimidation. And I don't know if you realize it, but we oftentimes, we all face intimidation in some way, shape, or form in our lives. You know, we, whether it be going out in the world and, you know, maybe, maybe we don't speak out in certain circumstances what we should. We feel the unction of the Holy Ghost possibly at times, but we hold back because we maybe are intimidated by the situation. You know, maybe we're intimidated by, by approaching somebody and somebody's offended us. So we're, we're intimidated about approaching that person and talking to them because there's an offense there. But we're too intimidated and too afraid to approach that situation. God doesn't work well. He doesn't work in the atmosphere of intimidation. He doesn't want us to walk around intimidated. But the enemy, he wants us to be intimidated. He wants us to walk around in fear. He wants us to be afraid of conflict, or of confrontation, I should say, conflict. And he wants us to be intimidated. Because he knows if he can keep us intimidated, God can't do what he wants to do through you and through me. Okay? So I want to start in Psalms chapter 27, verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David knew that he didn't need to be afraid of anything in his life because he knew, he knew the Lord. It's important when we're talking about intimidation in our lives, the most important thing is that we need to know, we need to know the Lord. When we face these circumstances, we need to, because it's through the power of the Lord that we can overcome. And if we know that if we're in the Lord in the right place that we need to be, we can overcome those situations that come against us because we'll know that the Lord is on our side. How many believe that the Lord is on their side this morning? Amen? All right, praise God. So David knew the power of God because he knew God. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But I want to turn, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 18 this morning. Uh, and we're gonna, it's going to be a little bit of lengthy re- reading. I got a lot of scripture, so if I talk fast, I'm sorry. I just got like eight pages of stuff to get through here. And uh, I'd like to accomplish as much as possible. <laughs> so, so strap in your seatbelts and let's go for a little ride here, okay? And hang on and we'll try to see if we can do about 90 miles an hour here and uh, get as much done as we can. So praise God. First uh, Kings chapter 18, uh, verse 22. First Kings 18, 22. It says, then Elijah, or then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Okay, I want you to remember that statement for a little bit, where Elijah says, I, even I, 
only remain a prophet of the Lord. Okay? Let's go down to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we'll start in verse 1. Now we know when Elijah said this, this is right before he was going to battle the prophets of Baal. And we all know the story. We've heard it a zillion times. But, um, so I'm not going to go too much into it. But we know that Elijah said, bring your men out and we're going we're gonna to see whose God's going to answer. And whosoever God answers, that's the God we're going to serve. Right? And we know how the story goes. And the prophets of Baal came and they carried on for a while and, and nothing happened. And um, at the end of all that, Elijah said, well, let, I want to destroy, or we need to destroy the prophets of Baal. So they, they killed those 450 prophets of Baal. Okay? Um, I believe that at this point, this was the, the crucial point of, of Elijah's life and his ministry in God. And uh, he had Israel, he, he had talked in that circumstance, he said, you know, if, if God does, what, if, if my God answers and the fire comes down, then let us serve our God, right? And the people had answered nothing at that time, uh, but they were all there. So there was obviously a lot of people there that were watching the happenings going on. Um, Mount Carmel is a big, it's a big high hill in, I mean, in Israel, in Israel. I mean, you can see, I don't know how high it is, but you're up there. And that's where this all took place. So there was a lot of people gathered around watching this going on. And if we go down to uh, chapter 19 of 1 Kings, we see that Ahab, and right after that happened, real quickly, right after that happened, um, Elijah prayed, and we know that he sent his servant out to go look for that the rain that was coming, and eventually the rain cloud comes. So this ends three years of famine. So not only did they see the glory of God come down, but right after that, the, three, the rain comes and refreshes the land, ends three years of famine, and, um, and right after that, now Ahab's going to run back and tell his wife, Jezebel, of, of the goings-on, okay? But I believe because of what happened here, it was a crucial point for Israel. I believe that if, if Elijah had continued on in these victories, that there was a possibility that Israel may have turned back to God at this point. Because, I mean, the momentum was there. There was a lot of momentum. They just saw the glory of God come down. All the prophets of Baal, they, they pulled out all those prophets of Baal, all those bad influences that were in, in their kingdom at that time. They got rid of those influences. And the rain comes. There's a refreshing that comes into their, into their land. And, you know, so there's all this momentum building up to, to take them and take them back to God. But I think that there's a possibility, and this is just my opinion, that Elijah, he fell a little short. And he was a great man of God. But let's read in chapter 19 here, verse, verse 1. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I, not, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. Talking about the the uh, prophets of Baal that he slew by tomorrow at this time. And when he, Elijah, saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came down and sat under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. For I am not better than my father's. It was at this point, I believe, that the momentum was there for a revival to happen in Israel. But Elijah still was intimidated by Jezebel. She said, I'm going to come after you, Elijah. And after all that God had done through Elijah's hand at this point, 
we see him turning and running. He doesn't seek God, say, what, I sh what should I do? He runs into the wilderness and he feels sorry for himself. Just about at the precipice of going over and into that revival. But he doesn't complete the work that God had for him. We see at the end of this chapter, and for sake I'm not going to read it all, but at the end of chapter 19, God tells Elijah, basically, you're going to go and anoint the person that's going to take over and finish your ministry. You're going to go and anoint Jehu, who's going to go and he's going to kill Jezebel because you were too afraid. You ran from the confrontation. You ran from, out of intimidation, and you didn't complete the work that I had for you to do. So at the end of chapter 19, if you can read it later, we see that he says, go anoint Jehu king, and eventually Jehu kills Jezebel. And um, he says, go anoint Elisha, the tip Tishbite, to become your, become your apprentice. And so that was, I believe, again, this is just my, my own personal belief, but I believe that because he didn't finish what God had designed, I believe that he, he, at that point, because of the momentum, they should have got rid of Jezebel. Maybe even Ahab would have been willing to do it at that point. Because Ahab was there, seeing it all happen. He was intimidated by his wife. She, she wore the pants of the family, as they say, right? So, and uh, everybody was afraid of her. Even, even Ahab was afraid of her. He ran and told her and, you know. But Elijah fell just a little short. And God said, well, we're going to have to go in a different direction and accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. And the revival never came. That could have happened in Israel because of intimidation in Elijah's life. All right, let's go over to another, um, another story that we're all very familiar with. And uh, that's going to be the story of David and Goliath. And there's a couple things in here I, I want to talk about that I thought were really interesting. 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Have you ever thought in this story, again, we all know this story, so I'm not going to maybe read it all, but, um, well, let's read the first couple of verses of 17 here. It says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shulchath, or Shoko, which uh, belongs to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah and, well, a feast, whatever, you know, all those good names. So, <laughs> And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there ran out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet, and it tells you about how big he is. Did you ever wonder here, number one, here's the Philistines in Israel. They're invading their country. They're in, they're in their, basically inhabiting their country. And uh, have you ever wondered why the Israelites let the Philistines determine how the battle was going to be fought? Goliath came out and said, send me a man. And if, you, if he beats me, we'll be your servants. But if I beat him, you'll be our servants, right? Why in the world? So then we, we'll read a little bit here of Saul and everybody held behind the rocks and was afraid. Why did, they, why did they agree for that to be the battle? Why didn't they say, okay, we're going to take you six men over here. You're going to go and fight Goliath when we attack him as a whole army. When we go forth as an army, of, as an army, as a complete whole army, 
We're the body of Christ. We're supposed to be the army of, uh, army of God. We'll talk about that in a little bit. You know, I believe that the devil wants to get you to come out, step out of your protection of, of, the, of the church, of your pastor, get you out and fight the battle by yourself. Goliath, Goliath was calling them out and said, well, let's do it this way. Let's fight it this way. Let's fight it our way. The devil wants you to fight it his way. He doesn't want you to fight it the way that the Bible tells us we're going to fight. Because if we fight it the way the Bible tells us, we're going to be overcomers. But if we listen to the enemy, we're not, the chances aren't going to be as great that we're going to be overcomers. So I, was just, I thought that was interesting. I never thought of that before. Why they, why they didn't just say, hey, well, we'll have a bunch of archers when we attack them, you know, fling the arrows at Goliath and try to at least wound them or whatever. You know, why, why allow the devil to determine the way the battle's going to be won in your life? Amen? All right, let's go down to, uh, well, we'll read chapter, verse 11 says, When Saul and Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were greatly dismayed and greatly afraid. And we know that David was out taking care of his father's sheep, and he was out in the wilderness, and his dad, he came back, and his dad said, well, I want you to take um, some food to your brothers and give me a report of what's happening over where your brothers are at the battle. So we know David comes, and when he approaches, and he sees the mountain that the Israelites are on, everybody's, you know, and there's no one to be seen. They're all hiding behind the rocks. You know, a big army. How do you hide an army? Where do you put an army? You know, an army's not meant to be cowering with their backs turned to the enemy, but they should be gathered together as one strong force, um, covering, each other's, covering each other's backs, right? You know, again, we're, we're the family of God, we're the body of Christ, but we're also the army of God. We need to cover one another's backs in these times, okay? Intimidation's gonna come. Intimidation's gonna try to penetrate. Um, it's gonna try to come in our lives in different various forms. And, you know, we need, to, we need to be there for our brothers and our sisters to help them get through those times, just as they need to be there for me. We need to be, have each other's back and, again, fight as an army. When you think of even a modern-day army and, you know, you got the SEAL teams and they're just a small team, but each one of those guys has a job they do, but in their job that they do to accomplish their mission, each one of them walks, washes the back of each other, right? They, they cover th their, their partner, their buddies, and they never leave a guy behind. They never leave anybody behind. They always make sure that they get, they, they, that they get them out of there and that they protect them and that they, they watch each other's backs. And I believe that um, when we're talking about intimidation, we need to make sure that we're watching each other's backs as a congregation and as a as a body of Christ. Amen? All right. Uh, so let's see here. Verse, uh, let's go down to verse 26 in chapter 17. And it says, And David spake to the men that stood by him and said, well, hold on. Let's go, go back a little bit. Um, Okay, no, let's just start there. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Remember that very first scripture we talked about? That David knew the power of God because he knew God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto these men. And Eliab his anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride 
and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. We see here, there's a lot of intimidation going on. Goliath's out there shouting, send me a man, send me a man. You know, the Israelites are cowering behind their rocks and they're hiding. They're not willing to confront the enemy. So David's willing, he's like, what's going on here? I know that my God is able to deliver us. I mean, God's delivered me many times in protecting from the lion and the bear. You know, there's no doubt in his mind that God can do it and he's confused by the intimidation. So now the intimidation takes a different form and it comes at him from his own brother. And he's saying, I know that, you're, that you've got a bad attitude, that you're here, that you're being naughty, that you, you, know, that, that you desire these things. Um, so they lashed out at David, trying to discredit him, trying to discredit David and hide their own shame. Here, the, his little brother is, is being more bold than he is. So instead of saying, yes, you're right, our God can, our God is able, he turns his shame on him and he's trying to, to intimidate his brother and cause his brother to, be, to not be willing to fight. Eliab was now bold, but he was bold with anger. And he attacked David's character, not the problem facing Israel. You know, when intimidation tries to set foot in our congregation, we really need to be careful. Because if we, someone steps out and steps forth, we've got to be careful that we don't take that intimidation and the shame that maybe we feel because we're not willing to step out. That person's got a little bold. And try to cut somebody else down. Try to turn that intimidation on our brethren and our sisters. Amen? When a person is intimidated, he looks for an escape or a release of the pressure. If he is weak, he will make excuses. If he is strong, he will often attack those who have confronted him by putting some form of blame back on them. And that's what Eliab was doing here with David. He's trying to put some form of blame back on, on David. He accused David of conceit and wickedness. Because Eliab thought only of himself, he assumed that David was the same way. But David was not. He was a man after God's own heart. Not proud, but humble before the Lord. People who have strong personalities will use intimidation to make a lie look like truth. I'll read that once more again. People who have strong personalities. Eliab had a strong personality. He was a big... Remember when Samuel came up to them and he... Eliab came forth, he said, surely this is the guy that God, this is the man that God has chosen to lead Israel. So Eliab was a, he was a strong man. People who have strong personalities will use intimidation to make a lie look like truth. Those who act pure outwardly, pure outwardly, but have an impure heart, will always attack the pure in heart. Those who attack, who, sorry, those who act pure outwardly but have an impure heart will always attack the pure in heart. Jesus constant, constantly faced intimidation from the Pharisees. If they could only intimidate him, they knew they could control him. They call him a traitor, a glutton, a drunkard, a demon-possessed sinner, didn't they say he cast out demons by Beelzebub? Which were the very characteristics many of them possessed. They were white and sepulchers. The inside was 
rotten, but the outside looked pure and white. So through this all, we see David cho chooses to side with God. 1 Samuel 17, 29 says, And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause to get rid of this man? What have I done? I've been acting, I'm just not being intimidated. I haven't done anything wrong. Why are we allowing the enemy to come and intimidate our country when we are the chosen people of God? Just as you are the chosen people of God here this morning. Why, we, why do we allow the enemy to come in and intimidate us and keep us from the victories that God has in store for our lives? Is there not a cause, I ask you this morning? There is a cause this morning, right? Amen. Uh, let's go down to chapter, uh, sorry, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and, will, and I will smite thee, and take thy head from thee, and I will give thy carcass to the host of the Philistines this day, and to the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. A little bit before this, we know that, um, I skipped this part of the story, but we know that once he had uh, faced that intimidation by Eliab, then he goes, they, the men take him before Saul, and they say, well, we found somebody who wants to fight this, this boy. He wants to fight the Goliath. And Saul's like, well, okay. Remember Saul was like six foot six? I mean, he was still smaller than Goliath, but he was the largest man in Israel. They said he was head and shoulders above the rest of them, right? So then he's saying, well, here, you got to take, he put, tried to use more intimidation, said, well, you only can fight him if you use, if you use the weapons and, and the armor that I give you. Then you can go out and fight him. And he tried to push that stuff on him. And, and, he, and David, we know, said, well, I don't need any of that stuff. All I need is my sling my stone, and the name of the Lord. Amen? Because he knew how he could defeat the enemy. And he wasn't going to allow any intimidation to keep him from doing what he knew God was able to do through his life. And we see that David's boldness after he slew the giant was contagious. The men came up from behind their rocks and they started to pursue the Israelites or the uh, Philistines and they chased them and, and there was a big victory that day. Um, so we don't we, we can't allow intimidation to be in our lives and to control our lives, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. 1 Timothy 1, 6 through 10 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He was a younger pastor that was at a church, and he's given him some instruction here. Um, verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. The spirit of fear, that could be, you could take that word fear out of there and put the spirit of intimidation right in there. God has not given us the spirit of intimidation, but he's given us the, the spirit of love, or of power, love, and a, and a sound mind. I love the way that the love, love is sandwiched right in between power and a sound mind. Because the center of it all in facing intimidation is we need to have the love of Christ. Because if we're going to try to defeat things and try to come against things and we're not doing it out of love of, of Christ, we're not doing it in the right way, in the right manner. We face intimidation and we, we get victory through the love of Christ. Just as David knew God, he knew the love of God, he knew God's love for Israel, it was through that knowledge and through that relationship with God that he knew that he would have the victory. And it's the same way with us. We need to draw close to God 
we need to know God this morning to have victory over intimidation in our lives. Boldness comes from the virtues of power, love, and of sound mind. Uh, verse 8 says, be, thou, be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. He's called us with a holy calling. Can you say amen? amen. Not according to my works, or not according to your works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We need to demonstrate the love of Christ and take on the character of Christ to face intimidation and to overcome intimidation in the right way, in the right manner. You know, there's different ways. We see, we've, you've seen people in your lives. I was thinking about this this morning, about one time when I was like four years old, I had a big wheel. And we lived on 19th and Burnham in Milwaukee. We lived on Burnham Street. And I don't even know where my parents were back then because I was just riding my big wheel up and down the roads. And so I went around the corner and, I, and somehow this big kid, I mean, in my memory, he was the size of Kevin Barningham. You know, I don't know if he was that big, but he was a big kid. This kid grabbed me off my big wheel, and he shoved me underneath his front porch, and he locked me there. And I'm like four years old. You know, and I remember that. I don't remember how I got out of there, because that wasn't the traumatic part of my life. I remember getting shoved underneath there. Somehow, obviously, I'm here today, so I got out of there. But, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, well, I guess maybe that was by Goliath or something. But, um, and I was thinking about different times in my life. There was another time I was, uh, it seems like this all happened in Milwaukee. My grandma lived on 7th in Cleveland. And there was a Chuck E. Cheese over on Chase Avenue. And we'd walk over that way um, by the Kmart over that way. And um, we'd go over there, my brother and I sometimes. But one time I was walking back to, from there by myself. And it was at night. And I had like four guys come out. There were older kids. I, I was maybe 12. 13 or something, and there was four of them, and they surrounded me, and we're going to, you know, take out their frustrations on me, I guess. And I was so afraid. I mean, I was, and it just so happened that my uncle had drove by at that time, and he chased them away. I don't know if he knew it was me or not, but, um, but you know, he was my savior that day. So, um, but just different circumstances, and I was thinking about different intimidations in my life. Another time, I think, were you with us when we were swimming that one time with Scott? We were swimming one time at, there was a swimming place on 16th and, uh, and um, um, Cleveland, I think it's on. And we used to go there swimming when we were kids. And we got out of the pool and we were getting ready because we were closing. And all these kids came up to us in the locker room and we were like talking smack and we were going to beat us up and everything when we left there. And it was dark out or whatever. My cousin, um, he was, he grew up in Milwaukee, so... He, uh, when we got outside, he didn't wait to talk anymore. He just started punching people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> my brother and I, I think just stood there watching beat up like four guys in front of us, you know, because we were just country bumpkins and we didn't really, weren't really, you know, into that kind of thing. So, and, uh, but then my brother, was that you or him that took the shoes and threw them up on top of the, <laughs> on top of the building or something? But intimidation comes to us oftentimes through our lives. Those are just some physical examples of, of intimidation, you know. And, uh, but if we really think about it, we face intimidation in our lives constantly in, in different ways. And uh, Timothy, when he went and he was, he was a young minister, he was facing intimidation by some of the people in this church. So 
so Paul here is he's admonishing him. He says, you know, you need to be, um, that God hasn't given us the spirit of intimidation, but of, a, of power, love, and a sound mind. So again, we need to just demonstrate the love of Christ and take on the character of Christ. Um, I find it interesting, you know, that a lot of Christians will travel hundreds of miles to go to a miracle, prophetic, or anointing service, but they are unwilling to deal with the anger, unforgiveness, or bitterness in their own hearts. When we're talking about taking on the character of Christ, we're all rah, rah, we want to go see the power of God, but we don't want to change what's in, inside of us. And we think if we can see those manifestations of God in our lives, that, that we don't have to deal with those things. Spiritual manifestations may be of God, but we must be willing to deal with the inner man also. Unwillingness to do so has opened up many to deception. You ever wonder how some of these ministers fall? Some of these guys, I mean, they have great works that fall out, you know, signs and wonders, and, and they still end up falling away from, from God. They still end up not making it, not, you know, and you wonder, how, how in the world could that happen? The guy, you know, God worked through him. It begins when success in ministry becomes more important than their intimate relationship with God. Our intimate relationship with God has to be the most important things in our lives. Um, up at Men's Conference, Brother Manubo was talking about that on Friday night, that um, he's called it intimacy with Christ. And he said, I want, he said, intimacy, I want God to be able to see into me, intimacy. I don't know, it must be those guys that came out of Parkway that do those word things all the time, like our pastor, so. <laughs> but God, I want you to see into me. Our ultimate goal has to be to draw so close to Jesus that we take on his character. When we do this, the other things will fall into place. Those other things will happen in our lives. But we can't be distracted. We can't use those things as a... Um, as a spiritual barometer. Well, if God works miraculously in my life, the Bible says that those gifts are given without repentance. And they're gifts. You don't earn a gift. It's given to you. It doesn't mean that you're that, you're, that you're that much more spiritual because you're using a gift. It's a gift given to you. What means that you're spiritual is when you take on the character of God and you deal with the situations in your life that come before you, the intimidations, and you do it with God's character in your life and you work through those things out of love and out of a sound mind and out of the power of the Holy Ghost that's upon us. Amen? Amen. Praise God. How much time do I have left? None. All right. <laughs> oh, well, I made it through three <laughs> pages. So, um... According to that clock, I have four minutes, but um, I know that that clock is slow. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, I'll just read a couple more scriptures real quick. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That I may know him. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart. Again, not, not the white, white and sepulchers like the Pharisees were, but the pure in heart are going to see God. We cannot mistake the anointing of God as his approval. Saul prophesied after God rejected him in 1 Samuel. Caiaphas prophesied while his one goal was to kill Jesus Christ in John eleven forty nine 49 and 51. 
Remember, gifts are not earned, they are used, and they are not used, cannot be used to gauge our spiritual maturity. Um, Matthew 7, 20 through 23 says, Wherefore by your fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we cast out devils, and in thy name have we done wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. We must have God's heart to be able to obey his will. Um, Psalms 27, 4 says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. These individuals learn the secret of integrity with power. Seeking him earnest, earnestly, they glimpsed his very heart. David overcame Goliath because he knew God. We have a spiritual authority in our lives by the very act of receiving the Spirit of God, which restores the authority in our lives, which Adam lost in the garden. We need to use that authority to overcome the intimidation that comes against us. The devil wants us to be intimidated, so we can't be used to do what God wants to do in our lives. But the power of the Holy Spirit should bring boldness. Doesn't that say we should have power to overcome and to be witnesses? You find great boldness in believers who don't trust in their own strength. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Amen. Oh, there's some good stuff in here. I hate them. <laughs> um, just give me a couple more minutes, okay? Um, I talked to Pastor Kylie. You know, I said, um, there's a difference between, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. It doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. There's a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper, when conflict or, or um, something rises up, intimidation rises up, they do everything they can to keep the peace. They don't deal with the problem or deal with the issue because they're trying to keep the peace. God hasn't called us to be peacekeepers. He's called us to be peacemakers. Through the love of Jesus Christ, through his character in us, we need to find a way out of love and out of a sound mind, out of power, to navigate through that to keep to be a peacemaker and find peace on the other side of those of the resolution in that situation. Amen? And one other thing I want to share with you, um, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, we quote this scripture all the time, but we don't quote the last part of it. We don't know what the last part of it says. And uh, it says, And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We all know that, right? But we all forget that the last part of the scripture says, And they loved not their lives unto the death. Our lives, if we want to have true victory and true victory over intimidation, we cannot love our lives even to the death. Whatever God wants to take us through, if we put our lives, we put our pride, if we put our own, our own well-being, well, I don't want to be, you know, I have too much pride to get out and do this, or if we put any of those things before, what God, before um, what God wants to do in our lives, he won't be able to accomplish it because we cannot love our lives even unto the death. 
The Bible says that you need to pick up your cross and follow me. You need to put yourself on the cross daily. I die before God. Is that what Paul said? He said, I die daily. We need to die daily to take on the character of Christ so we can overcome the intimidation that, that comes in our lives. Fear of confrontation makes you pray for intimidation. Second Timothy talks about enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, but, he, but that, uh, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. We need to have the attitude of a soldier. We are not going to back down from evil, but we are going to overcome evil with good by God's grace. Amen. So let's just ask, uh, if you want to stand, we'll just pray. Um, I want you to know this morning that um, the devil's going to try to intimidate you. The devil's going to try to, he's trying to intimidate, he's trying to cause conflict, he's trying to do things in our church. Um, let's just be honest, there's a lot going on, there's a lot of change. Change isn't easy, it's difficult. And the devil's trying to use anything he can to cause divisions, to cause separations, to cause um, us to not see the goal. But there is a cause this morning, Amen. We can't be distracted, we can't be intimidated, we can't, we can't allow the, love, the devil to get his foot inside of our lives individually. We need to make sure that we take on the character of God, that our hearts are pursuing God with all that we have within us, and that no matter what comes, that God's will would be accomplished. Amen? Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.